0: a copy of God's Word, why don't you turn with me to Luke chapter 11. We're going to be continuing our series, Lord Teach Us to Pray. As you probably notice, I'm not Aaron. Um, Aaron's actually down in Arkansas this weekend, um, sharing some of the, the story of our church and what God is doing in and around us uh, with some of our partner churches down in, in Arkansas. So We're really excited he gets the opportunity to do that. So you get me today, um, and we're going to continue our series um, here in Luke 11. So with that, let's go and stand together in honor of reading God's Word this morning. So Luke chapter 11, we're going to read verses 2 and 3, and um, going into verse 4, which is what we're going to be looking at here today. So Luke chapter 11, beginning in verse 2, and God's Word says this. He said to them, whenever you pray, say, Father, your name be honored as holy, your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread, and then what we're looking at today, and forgive us our sins. For we ourselves also forgive everyone in debt to us and do not bring us into temptation. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. God, thank you that it is living and active. It is sharper than any two-edged sword, God. Lord, we pray that you will soften our hearts, that we may receive what you have for us today, Lord. Let us not leave here the same. And we ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Or if you're married in this room, I'm sure you've had to, from time to time, apologize to your spouse. If you're like me, the the number of times you've said something you regret is actually too numerous to count. But over the last um, almost eight wonderful years, my wife has graciously forgiven me each time. Uh, For me, it's more my sarcasm that gets me in trouble than than anything. But as I was thinking through this passage, I thought about the relationship that I have with my wife, how even when I do or say something that um, I need to seek forgiveness for, it doesn't change the nature of our relationship. It doesn't change the fact that we are still married, thank God. Um, But what it does do is that it can hinder our relationship. It can affect the quality and the intimacy of our relationship with each other until we reconcile. And so as we look at this final part here in, in Luke chapter 11, I want us to see the problem of sin and how it can affect our relationship with God. And that even for those of us that are already in a saving relationship with God through Christ Jesus, that that sin that we still commit now can be a barrier it can still affect the quality of our relationship to the Lord and why Jesus tells us here in Luke 11:4 4 to ask for forgiveness. But until, uh, before we get into that, a little bit about where we've been so far. Um, we've seen here in Luke 11 Jesus give us a model, a framework, a, a guideline on how we should make our prayers to God the Father. It isn't to say that this is something we should pray for word for word, but the elements, the essence of this prayer is what we should include in our prayers. The first thing we saw is that God, or Jesus tells us to pray that God's name is honored as holy. This idea that God is set apart, he is glorified, he is above all things, including us. And that, when we remind, and that through this, we remind ourselves of our position relative to a holy and perfect God. Then when we pray this, we are asking for God to help us live out a life that brings glory to him, not to ourselves. The second thing that Jesus tells us is to pray that God's kingdom come, to place ourselves under his rule, his authority, his will, not my kingdom, not the life that I want to build, not my will, but his alone. Jesus tells us in Matthew 6, 33, to seek first the kingdom of God, to seek first the expansion of his kingdom. We talked specifically about this and how we should pray that, what Aaron called that also dangerous prayer of asking God to use us to reach others for his kingdom. And then last week, we looked at asking for our daily needs, our provision. Lord, give us our daily bread. Give us what we need. And Aaron mentioned this proverb last week. It's one of my favorite proverbs. It comes from Proverbs 30, verse 8. It says, Give me neither poverty nor wealth. Feed me with the food I need. Otherwise, I might have too much and deny you, saying, Who is the Lord? Or I might have nothing and steal, profaning the name of my God. So, Father, give me what I need, nothing more, nothing less. And that if we make the first part of the prayer that Jesus tells us here, right, God, your name be honored as holy. Lord, your kingdom come. We know that everything else will fall into place, that we can trust God to provide everything that we need. all that leads us in the last part of this prayer that deals with the matter of our spiritual needs. And I think we can confidently say that compared to our physical needs, our spiritual needs are, are by far our greatest need. And so Jesus tells us here to ask the Father to forgive us, as we forgive others and lead us not into temptation. And the reason for this is because sin is our greatest problem. Sin keeps us from a right relationship with God. It creates a barrier between us and him. And it keeps us from enjoying all that a relationship with God can bring. Because the truth is, is that God cannot stand sin. He cannot look upon sin. It has to be dealt with. It has to be covered. We see this in Habakkuk one thirteen, where it says that God's eyes are too pure to look on evil. And he cannot tolerate wrongdoing. Sin was the reason that blood had to be shed under the Old Covenant, the Old Testament, where countless animals were sacrificed so that there could be forgiveness. And that was whether the sin was intentional or not. That did not matter. Sin had to be dealt with because you're dealing with a holy and perfect God. In Hebrews 9.22, we see it says that without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. So Jesus here in Luke 11, when asked how we should pray, He affirms the need to seek forgiveness, to seek confession of the sin in our lives. Now, you may be asking yourself, because I ask myself this very question, haven't my sins already been forgiven? Has not Jesus, then, through the substitutionary death on the cross, paid for the sins that I've committed, past, present, and future? And the answer to that is yes. But do I still sin? The answer, of course, is yes. And what we're seeing the truth here in Scripture is that we still need to confess those sins. That we still need to seek God's forgiveness. And it's an interesting paradox to unpack, and I think help us understand what this means. What, like, why do I still have to ask for the forgiveness of the sins I still commit? We can look at it in two ways. One, forgiveness we can call uh, an idea of judicial forgiveness. And this is the forgiveness that in righteousness that we receive when we repent of our sins, believe in Jesus, and confess Him as Lord. This is our justification meaning that we are made just in God's sight as judge when he considers our sins paid for by the death of Christ. Jesus paid for my sins on the cross, taking on all the punishment that was meant for me. In Isaiah 53, it says that Jesus was pierced and crushed for our iniquity, that all of the punishment that was meant for me was put on him. And Because of that, we can have peace with God. And this justification is done. It is done once for all, and after I enter into that relationship with him, it can never be taken away. Right? Romans 8 talks about how who can bring an accusation against God's elect? What can separate us from the love of God? And After we are justified, nothing. Nothing can separate us from him. In contrast to justification, the second kind of forgiveness we can call is this relational forgiveness. In contrast to the forgiveness that we receive from God as judge, we now receive forgiveness from a loving father. And this is the forgiveness we see here in Luke eleven four, 4. The forgiveness that we are commanded to ask for, for the sins that we still commit. This is our sanctification. This is the chastening, the discipline from a loving Father to make us more and more into the image of Christ. But to even get to the point of asking for that relational forgiveness, it begins with repenting of your sins and entering into a saving relationship with Jesus. That's the beginning. Your justification must precede your sanctification, There has to be a relationship with the Father first. If you remember what Aaron mentioned the last two weeks? We didn't plan this. I was going to bring this up anyway, but it's so cool, right? When you see Jesus begin the prayer, he says, whenever you pray, say, Father, right? There's the importance of the relationship. There has to be a relationship there with the Father first. An unbeliever cannot say, Father, right? If some random kid came up to to me and said, Father, I'd be like, I ain't your daddy. I don't know who you are, Right? right? And why? Because they're not in that relationship with me. But I have the right to call my wife, my wife, because we have entered into a covenant with each other. And because of that relationship, we have certain rights. I have the right to call my children, my children, my son, my son, my daughters, my daughters, because they are in a relationship with me. In the same way, we can call God our Father, when we enter into a saving relationship with Jesus. And when we enter into that saving relationship, we are adopted as sons and daughters, co-heirs with Christ. That's what John says in John 1, verse 12, where he says, But to those who did receive him, he gave them the right to be children of God. Romans 8:15 says that you receive the spirit of adoption, by whom we cry out, Abba, Father, right? Daddy, Daddy. And if you enter into a saving relationship with Jesus as the Son of God, you're now in a relationship with God the Father, and with it comes certain rights. To be in a part of his kingdom, to have eternal life, to be adopted as a son or daughter, to be given the righteousness of Christ, to have God's protection, His provision and His forgiveness. And this is all because of what Jesus did on the cross. And to enter into that relationship, first we need to understand our condition. The default human condition and position of every man, woman and child on this earth is to be dead in their trespasses and sins. Ephesians and Colossians 2 says that. Romans 3.10 says that there is no one righteous, not even one. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, meaning that we can't even begin to meet the standard of God's righteousness and His holiness. We completely missed the mark. Our righteousness is as a polluted garment, filthy rags, according to Isaiah 64. And because of this sin, this puts us in direct opposition to his righteous standard, meaning that we are enemies of God, meaning that we are separated from God, and we are destined for the wrath and judgment of God and set for an eternity in hell apart from him. And there is nothing that you can do apart from Jesus to change that. There are no amount of good deeds, no amount of charity, no amount of pleasurable pursuits that will change the fact that you are a sinner and that you are destined for the righteous judgment of God because the sins that we've committed or will commit, will keep us in that state until they are paid for. And Jesus is the only one that could pay the cost, the wrath and judgment that our sins so rightfully deserve. He's the only one that has ever and will walk this earth sinless. He alone is righteous. He alone is deserving of the relationship that we desperately need with the Father. But the good news of the gospel is that we can then be invited into that relationship with God through Christ Jesus. When we repent of our sins, when we confess with our mouth and we believe in our heart that Jesus is Lord and that God raised him from the dead, it says that you will be saved. And because of that faith, now our sins are no longer counted against us, but the righteousness of God through Christ Jesus is counted for us. No longer are we destined for wrath, but now there is no condemnation according to those who are in Christ Jesus. We are justified before God, our slate is legally clean. And when God looks upon us, he no longer sees our filthy righteousness, but he sees the righteousness of Christ. And that is our justification. That's that judicial forgiveness, and that's where it begins. And once you come into that saving relationship with Jesus, you repent of your sins and put your faith and hope in Christ, at that point, then you can boldly come before God and say, Father, Father, your name be honored as holy. Father, your kingdom be. Come, Father, give me daily what I need. And Father, forgive me. Make me clean. Because I know that I'm still a sinner, and I still sin daily against him, even though I know that I'm justified. My position before him is secure because of Christ. My sins that I still commit affect my relationship with him, and I need to be cleaned. And so with that, let's look at a couple points today. And the first one is this, is we need to be cleaned. We need to be cleaned. Uh, if you have a, have a hard copy, turn with me to John 13. Otherwise, it'll be on your, on your screen. So John 13, we typically see this passage as something that illustrates the humility of Christ, Christ being a servant by washing the disciples' feet. Well, I want you to see something pretty inc- incredible um, in this passage that I've never noticed before. Um, and it really illustrates perfectly this need for a, a relational forgiveness, this need that our sins um, even after we are justified, even after we are washed completely clean, we still need to be washed. And so here in John 13, Jesus and the disciples are they're, um, eating. Uh, leading up to the Passover, Jesus knows that the hour of his crucifixion is coming. And as they're eating, Jesus gets up, he, he lays aside his garment, he grabs a towel, a water basin, and he begins to wash the disciples' feet. And on that day, if you, if you, if you know, like, right, they wore sandals, there was a lot of du- dust and dirt everywhere as they were walking from, from town to town, from house to house, and, and it was customary for them to wash their feet as they sat down to eat. And this was a task that was typically meant for servants, the lowliest of the low. But here Jesus is going to show them something, right? Not only a servant's posture, but um, his adi- or the attitude, but also our need to be cleaned from our sin. And as he washes his feet, he, he makes his way to Peter, who, of course, does what Peter does best, is that he protests. And so here in John 13, beginning in verse 6, we see this. It says, he came to Simon Peter, who asked him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus answered him, What I'm doing you don't realize now, but afterward you will understand. In verse 8, Peter responds by saying, You will never wash my feet. Right? Peter here is saying, "Like, What are you doing? Why are you washing my feet? You as the Son of God, why are you getting down on your knees with the water basin and washing my feet? But look how Jesus replies in verse 8. He says, If I don't wash you, you have no part with me. You have no part with me, meaning you're not with me. You have no share with me. You can see in verse 9 that there's a light bulb that goes off in Peter's head. Peter wanted nothing more than to be with Jesus. Jesus. And so in verse 9, Simon Peter said, Lord, then not only my feet, but also my hands and my head. He says, why are you stopping at my feet? Wash all of me then. Make me completely clean. Look how Jesus responds. And this is the thing that I never caught before. In verse 10, Jesus says, one who has bathed doesn't need to wash anything except his feet. He is completely clean. You are clean. You know, it's really cool here just to... (laughs) throw some Greek at us this morning, right? That, that Greek for has, bathed, right? When he says that like, you've already bathed, it means to wash completely, wash completely. And then when Jesus says that, hey, I only need to wash your feet, it is referencing just cleaning yourself just with your feet or your hands or your face. So what Jesus is saying here is, I've already washed you completely clean. Peter, you've already been justified, but you're gonna get your feet dirty. You're still gonna sin, in this world, is you're going to get your hands and your face dirty. If you're going to be with me, I need to clean those parts too. You're still going to sin. I need to clean this off so I can use you how I want to use you. Right? So we've already been made clean. right? For those of us in Christ, we've already been made clean. We've already been made justified. We've already been judicially forgiven. But we're still going to get dirty. And then because of that, we still need to confess our sins so that he can wash our feet. That's the relational part. It's no longer us confessing our sins to a, a judge, but now it's confessing our sins to a loving father. A loving father who wants to correct us. A loving father who wants to chasten us relationally, right? As a father to a son and a daughter, he wants to correct us. And the truth is, if we want an intimate we want a close relationship with God, if we want him to use us, if we want to be an effective witness for him, if we want him to hear our prayers, if we want to experience the pure joy and freedom of a relationship with him, until I confess those sins, there's still going to be a barrier. My feet are still going to be dirty. But the good news is that God is ready and willing to forgive. God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins when we confess them and restore that relationship with us. That brings us to our next point. It's this confessing sin restores the joy of our salvation. The next example we'll look at is in Psalm 51. 51. We've looked at this example before. Um, David wrote this psalm in Psalm 32 when he was confronted by the prophet Nathan when he had sinned with Bathsheba. And if you remember in 2 Samuel 11, David commits adultery with Bathsheba. She becomes pregnant. David tries to hide it and to try to hide his sin. He orders what is essentially the murder of Bathsheba's husband, Uriah. And there are a few things that this passage can teach us about the posture uh, that we should have before the Lord when we sin. But the important thing to remember is that God knew, or excuse me, David knew that God was his salvation. David already had faith in the promises of God. David is quoted from Psalm 32 in Romans 4 where Paul's talking about that person whom God credits righteousness, right? Faith is credited as righteousness apart from works. So that David knew, he knew that God would establish his throne forever and that through his lineage would come Christ. But David still sinned. He knew that he had not only sinned against Uriah and Bathsheba, but he had ultimately sinned against the Lord. And they needed to confess it. So picking up in Psalm 51, verse 2, let's look at what it says. So David says, "...completely..." Wash away my guilt and cleanse me from my sin, for I am conscious of my rebellion. And my sin is always before me, meaning that he's not going to forget it. And Against you and you alone I have sinned and done this evil in your sight. So David is saying here is like, Lord, I know that I've wronged Uriah, I know that I've wronged Bathsheba, but ultimately I know that I have sinned against you. In 2 Samuel 12, 13, David responded to Nathan when he was confronted, I have sinned against the Lord. And since David knew that he had sinned against the Lord, he knew that the Lord was the only one that could make him clean and restore him. So look what it says in verse 8 of Psalm 51. It says, Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have crushed rejoice. Turn your face away from my sins and blot out all my guilt. God, create a clean heart for me and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not banish me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore the joy of your salvation to me and sustain me by giving me a willing spirit. Again, David knows that he he hasn't lost the promises of God. He hasn't lost his salvation. He knows it's secure. But he knows that he's lost the joy of it. He knows that he needs his steadfast, willing spirit renewed. But in order for that to happen, he has to confess his sins. He has to seek forgiveness for those sins. Until then, he would feel the weight of those sins upon him. In Psalm 32, the second psalm that David wrote as a result of this sin, we see the contrast between someone who confesses their sin and receives forgiveness versus someone who hides their sin. Psalm 32, verse 1 through 2 says, How joyful is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. How joyful is a person in whom the Lord does not charge with iniquity, and in whose spirit is no deceit. And in whose spirit is no deceit, meaning how joyful is the one who openly confesses his sin before the Lord, meaning that he does not hide his sin, meaning that he does not gloss over it, but he confesses it. And he seeks forgiveness, and he receives it, and now experiences the joy of that salvation that comes with it. But look at the contrast between someone who who is joyful and now hides their sin. In verse 3, David says, When I kept silent, my bones became brittle from my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy on me. He felt the weight of it. My strength was drained as in the summer heat. If you're like me, you've probably carried sin for years. You carry the weight of it. You always feel in the back of your mind when you're convicted of it, you never confess it. You continue to feel the weight of it. But when you confess it, you begin to feel the weight of that sin lift off. You begin to feel the joy of your relationship with God again. Meaning that we cannot hide our sins and expect to have a right relationship with the Lord. In James 5.16, it says, therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. So James is saying here, not only should we confess our sins to the Lord, we should also confess to one another so that we could pray for one another and that we can be healed, not physical healing. He's seeing spiritual healing. Restore the joy of your salvation. Restore that relationship with the Lord. And I don't think what this is saying is that we should just get up here every week and just confess every single sin that we've committed. But if we're worn down, if we're tired, if we're stuck in the mire of habitual sin, if there are areas in our lives that are in direct opposition to the word of God and how he commands us to live, then you need to find another believer and you need to confess it. That's what it says. Otherwise, until we confess these sins, we will never experience the full joy. We will never experience the full freedom that we can have in a relationship with the Father. And we'll never be used by God in the way that he wants to use us. Because sin cannot survive in the light. Sin is okay to be hidden. Sin is okay to be nurtured. Sin is okay to just be left there alone. But we need to bring it out into the light. Because until then, it will affect our relationship with the Lord. <clears throat> the good news is that, that the Lord is ready and willing to forgive. First John 1 9 says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He's just because those sins have been paid for. Nehemiah 9.17 says, but you are a forgiving God, gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in faithful love. Psalm 32.5 says, then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not conceal my iniquity and I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. Psalm 86, five says, For you, Lord, are kind and ready to forgive, abounding in faithful love to all who call on you. And here's one more that's not on your screen. Proverbs 28.13. It says, The one who conceals sin will not prosper, but whoever confesses and renounces them will find mercy. This reminded me so much of parable of the prodigal son, or as really should be called, the gracious father. Right? The son takes all that his father gives him and wastes it away. Only then does he realize that he would be better off at home with his father. His father's servants are much better off than he is. He's homeless and eating pig slop. He returns home ready to be treated like a hired worker. Instead, the father is filled with compassion. And as soon as he sees his son, the father runs to him. And so is our Father ready to run to us? So again, back here in Luke eleven four, when Jesus says, "Father, forgive us our sins," we know that He is ready to forgive. He is ready to forgive us. Next thing we see in Luke eleven four is that Jesus gives us actually a condition to that forgiveness, where it says, "And forgive us our sins, for we forgive everyone in debt to us." And that's our next point: is that we must forgive others. The last passage we're going to look at is in Matthew 18, beginning in verse 21. This is a passage, I think, that illustrates the, the seriousness of forgiving others rather well and what its effect can be on God's willingness to forgive us. So verse 21, it says, Then Peter approached him and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother who sins against me? And I forgive him as many as seven times. Peter thought he was being gracious. Lord, I will gladly forgive my brother or sister seven times. Look how Jesus responds in verse 22. He says, I tell you not as many as seven, but 70 times seven. And Jesus isn't giving us a finite number here. No, he's saying as many times as you should forgive, you should forgive. And after this, Jesus goes into a parable of a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. And he brings one such servant in now in verse 24 where it says, when he began to settle accounts, one who owed 10,000 talents was brought before him. And to give a little bit of context, a talent was worth about 6,000 denarii. In other words, 20 years wages. Right? So 10,000 times 20 years, right? You can do the math, it takes a minute though. But it's an innumerable sum, an unpayable debt for this man. And look what it says in verse 25. It says, since he did not have the money to pay it back, his master commanded that he, his wife, his children, and everything he had be sold to pay the debt. And at this, the servant fell down before him and said, be patient with me, and I will pay you everything. And then the master of that servant had compassion, released him, and forgave him the loan. I think that sounds familiar to many of us. Compared to our relationship with God, right? We have an unpayable debt, one that we cannot pay. But the Lord was gracious to forgive us. In verse 28, it says, That servant went out and found one of his fellow servants who owed him 100 denarii. He had not an insignificant amount of money, but comparable to the first sum, pretty insignificant. It says that he grabbed him, started choking him, and said, Pay what you owe. At this, his fellow servant fell down and began begging him, Be patient with me, and I will pay you back. But he wasn't willing and said he went and threw him into prison until he could pay what was owed. When the other servants saw what had taken place, they were deeply distressed and went and reported to their master everything that had happened. Then after he summoned him, his master said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you begged me. Shouldn't you also have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And because he was angry, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he could pay everything that was owed. In verse 35 it says, So also my heavenly Father will do to you unless every one of you forgives his brother or sister from your heart. The message of this passage is simple. Forgive others. Forgive others because much has been forgiven of you. Because who are we to not forgive someone for something relative to what God did for us through Christ is nothing. And the truth is, to tie this back to the previous point, if we're harboring unforgiveness towards others, then the Lord will not forgive the sins that are barrier to an intimate relationship with him. So not only are you in a worse relationship with the one who you will not forgive, but you are in a worse relationship with the one who can ultimately forgive you. We are commanded to forgive one another. Ephesians 4.32 says, Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving one another, just as God also forgave you in Christ." Colossians 3.13 says, Bearing with one another and forgiving one another. If anyone has a grievance against another, just as the Lord has forgiven you, so you are also to forgive. We must forgive one another. The final thing that Jesus tells us here in Luke 11.4 is to ask the Father not to bring us into temptation. And there's a lot to unpack with this part of the verse, honestly. Honestly. And so much of what I was doing the last couple of weeks was just focus on the forgiveness and forgiving others who need to take care of our sin. But if I could sum up this last part of the verse well, it would be, Lord, keep me from the edge where I might sin against you. Keep me from the brink where I might cross the line into sin. Because I know that I'm going to go through various trials. I know that I'm going to go through various circumstances in this broken world. I know that there are going to be opportunities to get my feet dirty. But Lord, will you keep me from stepping over the line and sinning against you? Will you keep me from crossing the line, crossing the brink into sin? Remember, it says in Hebrews two, it says that Jesus was also tempted, so that he can be a help to those who are tempted. Jesus walked this earth; he walked it sinless. He was tempted, but he walked without sin. Because of that, he can be a help to us. All we have to do is to ask. All we have to do is pray. Once we enter that relationship with him, we can come boldly before the Father and say, Lord, I need your help. I need your help. I'm going to invite the praise team back up as we we end. And church family, as we've done uh, so much over the past several weeks, I think there's just going to be an invitation to pray. If you want to pray up here, what we like to refer to as the altar, if you want to pray in your seat, feel free. But we need to pray. If there's unrepentant sin in our lives, we need to deal with it. Right? Sin wants to stay in the dark, right? It wants to be protected, doesn't want to be addressed, doesn't want to be dealt with. But we need to get it out. And if you're harboring unforgiveness against someone else, we need to forgive. Because much has been forgiven of us. If there's a situation in your life where you feel like you're about to be tempted, you're about to cross that line, then you need to reach out and you need to ask the Father for help. Because we have a direct line to the Father in heaven. If we don't use it, if we don't pray, then what should we do? What, else, what other recourse do we have? That's why he's here and he's willing and ready to forgive. Because of Jesus, we can boldly come before him. Right? When we take that step, he sees us and he has compassion and he runs to you. So I invite you to pray as we respond in song. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word. Father, thank you for the truth that we, that we see in scripture. Father, convict us. Father, forgive us. It shows us areas of our lives that are in direct opposition to you. God, that we know Lord, we're just not living the way that you have called us to live. Lord, I thank you that you are gracious and kind and compassionate and loving and that you are ready and willing to forgive. God, be with us now as we stand and respond in song. God, just thank you for Jesus. Thank you for what he did and that he makes it possible for us to have this relationship with you. Let that never become just another Just something else, God, but let that always be a big deal in our hearts and our minds, something that causes us to live out a life that is pleasing to you, that brings glory to you. And we ask that in Jesus' name, amen. Amen.